Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Jason Com, as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, uh, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. And I'm Vicar Jason Kahn. And we're glad that you're with us today on this bonus episode. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from our regular uh, podcasts, and we're talking today about the Reformation. As we've gone through this particular year of Trek Through the Scriptures, we've paused for a few moments and looked at the liturgical calendar or church calendar and the various festivals and events that are celebrated. And this is this episode is on the Reformation. And it's easy to focus in on the Reformation because every year, October 31st, we are reminded that in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses or questions to the door of the Wittenberg Church to start a discussion in the church about uh, things that he saw needed to be reformed. But it's important for us to put it in context, which is something that we've talked about as we've gone through our trek through the scriptures. And so today we're going to deep dive into Luther's life as a monk, his personal mentors, and his Reformation as a whole, to put into context what it means when we say the Reformation. Uh, yes, it's an historical event, as we were reminded every October 31st, but it is much more than that. A lot led to the events uh, and the reality of the Reformation. And so as we deep dive into it. We want to just take a few moments and find out who was Luther, how did he come about to be this reformer that everybody remembers. And so we need to begin and understand that he was the oldest in his family. His father had great plans for him, was, going, was sending him off to be a lawyer, somebody of position and importance. And so Luther began, dived into his studies, was studying to be a lawyer. But one day as he was traveling, he was caught in a terrible storm uh, and was afraid for his life and cried out to St. Anne's, uh, St. Anne's, save me, I will become a monk. Well, the rest is history in a sense. He was saved. Boy, his father was not a happy camper uh, when he did that. Uh, and let's face it, saying Luther began out as a monk said, sounds nice, but what does that mean? Because let's face it, most of us do not know what does it mean to be a part of a monastic order? What are the, the characteristics? And so we need to just pause for a few moments. What was a monk? Mm -hmm. So monks... They would sell and give away everything that they owned. So they would get rid of all of their worldly possessions. They would leave their family and friends behind, and they would travel to live in a monastery. Think of it as like a giant church uh, slash spiritual hotel Bible getaway center where all of these people would come together and live as monks, and they would just sit around and study the scriptures and sing psalms all day long. And so this is the life that Luther, he did make good on his promise uh, to St. Anne when he was crying out, help me, I will become a monk. Um, so he took it very seriously. And so there's four characteristics of monasticism along with that that's important for us to understand that gives us more of a background as to who Luther was and what he was like. So the first is that monks spent time in perpetual penitence. Basically, that means that they were very aware of their sins and would repent for them every single day 
all the time, year round. And so they were always sort of sort of whipping themselves over their unrighteousness and uh, crying out to God for mercy. And so Luther was very fascinated by this in particular and just could not see himself as ever being righteous before God. And so he he did take this very seriously and kept kept repenting over and over, but the more he did so, the more broken he felt, the more he was aware of his sin. But this is the environment that monks lived in. You just were always penitent over what you did. The second point of being a monk was that they are what we called living martyrs. So again, this kind of goes into selling away all your worldly possessions, sort of giving everything up for the sake of the kingdom of God. And they would trade everything they had for studying the scriptures and being together. Um, and this was a very noble, it was a noble thing to do back then, was to give up all you had just to live in a monastery with a bunch of other monks. The third thing that they would practice is celibacy. So fellas, no dates, no marriage, no relationship with women. Sounds pretty lonely, right? Well, that's the life that they all accepted. They just forsook any sort of worldly relationships with women, and they just lived together as a bunch of uh, as a bunch of brothers in Christ in a monastery, um, which, as we know throughout history, causes it causes its own problems. But that's a discussion for another time. And then lastly, uh, monasticism was all about taking Christianity very, very seriously. So nothing else really mattered to these monks than just being together and studying God's word and praying to him and repenting of their sins and doing this over and over and over all day, every day for the rest of their lives. Well, that also led then, but to some dangers of monasticism. Uh, part of that you could see right away, I believe, too much of a emphasis on self or inner life. Uh, they didn't live a life. Um, they were always in reflection and wonder and uh, these responses, and they weren't living the life uh, using the gifts God had given them. Too much emphasis on themselves. And really, it also led to a temptation that they would just be prideful. Look at what we're not doing and what awful things the rest of the world outside is doing, as if we're better than you, we're superior to you. And you can see there where that conflict and pride steps in. And then finally, they lacked, uh, how would we put this? That they did not, they lacked uh the idea of questioning the truth. You know, they simply did it. There was no reflection for the most part. There was uh, no deep diving into what Scripture said. This is just what they were supposed to do. And so there was some real dangers there. And Luther, you know, struggled with that. And that, that kind of led to the fact that uh, fortunately for Luther, however, he wasn't just alone in the sense that he also had some mentors, uh, men that really impacted who ultimately Luther would become as the great reformer. Right. The Reformation wasn't purely Luther's idea that just fell into his head, but he was actually molded and shaped by several people throughout his time um, at the monastery. And so we're going to talk about a couple of them today. The first figure that we should know about is Bernard of Clairvaux. Bernard was the abbot of the monastery in Clairvaux, and so Luther spent a lot of time there in worship and in study. And he kind of became a father figure to Luther during his time there, because Bernard of Clairvaux taught a lot about Jesus' passion, 
what we would call his suffering for the sake of sinners, and Jesus' compassion, his affection for sinners. And this is something that Luther desperately needed to hear because, again, Luther took his perpetual penitence very seriously and was always bogged down by his sin and his unworthiness before God and was constantly fixated on God's wrath that Luther deserved. And Luther couldn't really see the grace of God during his time at the monastery. And so we see that Bernard of Clairvaux was giving these essential truths of the scriptures to Luther before he really even put together what that meant um, in talking about Jesus' passion and his compassion. Bernard also placed a lot of emphasis on the spiritual interpretation of the scriptures. So Bernard of Clairvaux was out here asking questions, actually wondering, okay, how does this Bible passage, how does this apply to the story of Christ, to the story of everything? And then how does this text also apply to me? So he was asking questions, and these are actually really good questions that Lutheran preachers ask themselves even today as they're preparing for sermons. So they're often asking themselves, okay, how does this text apply to Christ? And now how does it apply to me? And so we see that uh, perhaps without realizing it, Bernard was getting Luther to start asking these questions about the scriptures that monks didn't really ask. And we see this in Luther's favorite question, his most famous one, what does this mean? Luther started asking that question about even the most simple things that the Bible teaches because people weren't really asking that question back then. Um, and so we can thank Bernard of uh, Clairvaux for shaping Luther to become a little more inquisitive and asking just simple questions about what the Bible meant. And uh, Luther also held his sermons in extremely high regard. So he was a big fan of his preaching, um, and Bernard of Clairvaux definitely shaped Luther in multiple ways on his path to becoming a great reformer. Well, and a little fun fact on the side there, uh, when he says he enjoyed his sermons or was a big fan, we need to understand, first of all, when they worship, they didn't have pews, they didn't have seats, they stood the entire time. And sermons could very easily be an hour or more longer. And so uh, when people get antsy that the service itself has gone over an hour or is reaching the hour limit, and you know a sermon is more than 12 or 15 minutes long, well, at least you're sitting, you're not standing, uh, it's not an hour long. Uh, so anybody that wants to give the preacher a hard time because his sermon is, well, about 17 minutes long, that's a little long preacher. Well, just remember, you were sitting, you weren't standing, and no, it wasn't an hour long. So. <laughs> Count your blessings. Don't there you forget. Go. Well, the second mentor we want to talk about was Johann von Staupitz. Uh, in many ways, uh, he is the, the a big mentor of Luther in the sense, really seen as his father confessor. He was the head of the German Augustinians, which really focused in on holiness and humility. Uh, we're always sinners, but, you know, growth is possible. And uh, he was the one, as Luther was growing and learning and questioning, uh, assigned Luther to teach at Wittenberg as a professor. And this really is a big turn for Luther, because anybody who has been a teacher of a class, uh, whether you're... Uh, teaching just a Bible class or doing some other, whenever you're 
getting ready to teach the class, you end up learning more than your students because of all the deep uh, learning and preparation that goes into it. And this really got Luther to take a very deep dive into the scriptures uh, for his own personal growth, but yet also so that he could do uh, his teaching as a professor. And so Luther's study, Luther's understanding, Luther's questions grew and grew and grew and really came out of his being a professor at Wittenberg. And Stoppitz really encouraged Luther to move away from this focusing in on himself and beating him up from his sins and instead focusing in on Christ and his forgiveness and his life, which really had been a difficult aspect for Luther up to this point. And he was also a critic of indulgences. So uh, it wasn't just Luther alone that was questioning indulgences. Uh, Really, uh, Staupitz was as well. And so it's interesting that these two committed Roman Catholic servants would be ones that would ultimately help lead Luther down this path of ultimately the Reformation, having shaped his theology, having shaped his manner of study and questioning. And uh, you have to wonder really what their thoughts were as they saw this former student of theirs, mentor of theirs, mentee of theirs, uh, going down this path of Reformation, what that would would be like. And so with that background, now we see Luther stepping in to take action. And uh, it's fitting that, you know, we've just been finishing up Romans here because Romans really was what finally made the gospel click for him. That might seem a little strange since it wasn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but the the gospel in reading through Romans really started to click for him. And we can see that in verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, notice not, it doesn't say the righteous shall live by their actions or their deeds or the like. It, the righteous shall live by faith, obviously going back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But it, that uh, light bulb going off in Luther as he is reading Romans, as he's studying and diving into Romans, really is what in many ways was the first linchpin, so to speak, of the starting for the Reformation in his regard. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning uh, of our podcast today, the Reformation is often seen as the anniversary of Luther's 95 Theses on 1517. That's over 500 years ago. Um, and it is true that that's often seen as the beginning of the Reformation. But as you've seen, as we've talked about some of these mentors, the the beginnings are much deeper than that, much earlier than that. And uh, you also have to understand Luther did not step into this to make a new church, to uh, you know break off from the Roman Catholic Church. He wanted a true conversation, debate, some actual teaching on what was going on in the church. And he didn't realize, of course, the opposition to the Catholic Church, what it would cause, the consequences of that. And, you know, it's often said, you know, don't take on the government. You know, they have all the resources and the money and the lawyers and that. So you got to be very judicious if you're going to take on the the U.S. government, so to speak. And uh, Luther was, I think, caught a little blindsided, not realizing, well, I'm just asking questions. I, I just really want to have this debate. And the, the firestorm that it uh, really caused is 
one of those amazing things. And and uh, as we've talked about earlier, God chooses his time and his place to do things. Uh, there was a lot going on in the world around Luther that made this the time for the Reformation to happen. And one of those is one of the amazing event uh, inventions that changed the world at that time. Mm-hmm. So Johann Gutenberg is a name that might strike a bell in your uh, in your mind. He was the one who invented the printing press in 1440. So this didn't take place like immediately uh, before the Reformation. So it was it had been around for uh, for a few decades, but now that this thing was up and running by the time Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church doors. Um, his works were being published and sent everywhere now without his permission. So Luther may have figured out the truth of the gospel in that God doesn't require a person to do anything in order to be righteous because he gives people his own righteousness himself. Luther may have figured that out, but he didn't know exactly what he was getting into when he started this whole Reformation movement because now everybody in Germany, people all around the world were starting to read what he was writing. Everyone had access to his 95 theses. And as Pastor Marcus mentioned, it did start this firestorm of controversy because the Catholic Church wasn't just the the religious superpower at the time, but it was also really kind of the government as well. So this was more than just a religious move, but without Luther realizing it, sort of a political one as well. And so he's straight up challenging kind of the people who run the world um, with his 95 theses. And it just sort of exploded into this huge movement that lasted much longer than just 1517. But it actually uh, even went beyond uh, the rest of Luther's life. So he spent the rest of his life explaining his theology, having discussions with people about the truth of the scriptures. And so he didn't just nail these theses to the church door and then boom, suddenly the Lutheran church was born and it magically fixed everything. That's not how it worked. Um, This really was more of a jumpstart, like the spark of the Reformation movement, which lasted a very long time. And so as Pastor Mars has mentioned, he never intended to break off and start his own church. He simply wanted to ask questions and open up a casual conversation with the church, with the Catholic church, but it became something much more filled with uh, controversy and debate and ultimately um, the truth of God's scriptures shining forth. And Luther was very prolific in his writing. Uh, One of the things that's very interesting, if you are an historian and history kind of intrigues me, uh, you As you go through Luther's writings, it's always very important to understand the timeline of when each of them was written, because you see a growth and change and growth in Luther throughout his writings. I mean, he was not the same uh, in his writings in 1517 as he was later, like in the 1520s and 30s, as he was uh, continuing to uh, dive into the scriptures more, his greater understanding. So we see uh, a change and growth in Luther's own life, let alone the life of the church, and to realize that, are we talking early Luther, middle Luther, late Luther? I mean, that all sounds maybe a little silly when you hear that, but it's true. Uh, And he was very, very prolific uh, not only in his writings, but in his statements. I mean, there are statements that he uh, made around the, the dinner table. He would often have his students sit around the table and um, he would pontificate on things and uh, obviously not by writing them down, but pontificating. And um, 
and it's often referred to, I have a three-volume set called Luther's Table Talks. And these are notes uh, that students had made of things that he said as he was around the table, as he was making notes. It's not that he necessarily professionally sat down and I'm going to write this and have this published and so forth, but uh, very prolific. And the volumes and volumes and volumes of Luther's works that I have in my own personal office um, just show the prolific nature. Um, you know, I couldn't write enough to write one or two books, let alone the the very high number of books that he's written. And so that really is important as we're talking about the Reformation. I mean, it was a movement. It was a growth. It wasn't a, a end destination. Like it started on 1517 and ended the next day. I mean, it, it went on to do that. And so with all this history, and maybe for some of you, you're rolling your eyes, wow, this is just a lot of things that don't seem to have uh, much impact on today. But really, there are some major implications uh, for the church today. And one of them really is understanding what Lutheran theology is really grounded on. And that would be the big fancy word, justification. Big word, not necessarily the word we use very often, but it really speaks to the fact that God does 100% of our salvation, that we bring nothing to the table. Uh, he's the one that does it all for us. And in Luther's day, that had lost sight. We need to do this. We need to buy this. We need to pay for this. We can't do that. We got to do this as if somehow we're earning it, getting it there. And in confirmation class, I always like to use the little acronym, uh, just as if I'd never sinned, you know, that that's really what justification actually is leading to. And that becomes central <clears throat> to what goes on in the Reformation is this idea of justification and the fact that we can bring nothing to the table. And so it's important to understand that implication, even in your faith life, my faith life, and our worship life, this uh, whole aspect of justification. Mm -hmm. The way I've learned it is that grace alone means that God has to do it all. Grace alone means that God does gladly do it all. And this was lost sight of before Luther's day. Um, as I hope you've learned, monks were always, always beating themselves up over their sin. And Luther finally, after years of study and after years of being formed by his mentors, got to that point where he realized, wait, there is nothing I can offer God, but he offers everything to me. And that is what the gospel is all about. Um, but that wasn't Luther's only big breakthrough. He also... Um, kickstarted some other efforts that um, have some implications even for today. So the first is that if you think about church services back then, the Bible was only publicly read in Latin. That was the official language of the church. But that only meant that church officials could officially read it and understand it. And so the common people that would show up to worship, they would sit there and they would hear the word of God being spoken, but they would have no idea what people were saying. So can you imagine coming into worship on Sunday and then Pastor Marcus and I are talking about the scriptures, you know, in English, in the language you can understand, but then when we actually read from the Bible, you would ask, okay, what did they what did they just say? Well, and the order of service was also in Latin. So not only the reading of the scriptures, but the order of service. So the vast majority of the worship, other than when the preacher would be sp preaching, it was in Latin. Right. And so you you heard it week after week after week after week or service after service. But 
you know, if you didn't know Latin, it was just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Mm-hmm. And so Luther wanted to do something about that. And so he spent a lot of time shortly after he nailed his 95 theses to the door, he spent a lot of time translating the Bible from Greek, the New Testament from Greek into the original language it was written in, into German so that actually the common people could just have access to God's word, not just so that they could understand it during worship, but so that they could read it on their own and talk about it among their families and actually have a copy of God's word that they could understand in their hands. Well, and one of the implications for today is this. You need to understand Germany was not one big country. There was Prussia, there was Saxony, uh, there was several different areas. And the language, while German, from what the north to the south, from the east to the west, I mean, was all a little bit different. They have, uh, dialects and so forth, word usage. And it's it's uh, Luther bringing and translating the Bible into uh, German, whether first the New Testament, later he did the Old Testament. He's really seen in many ways the father of the modern German language, like he normalized what it would be to be German, <clears throat> speak German. And so there, there's this normalization of the language. Now, obviously, uh, there has been changes in the German language since that time, but he's the one that kind of set the uh, path as to bringing all these various dialects together and doing that. So his implication of that as well. And he, he also argued that everyone should have an education, not just the wealthy. So you could say in some ways he's the, uh, the father of public education or instruction. And and in many ways, uh, his implications related to government is also very much the same in in the impact he had on the ruling class of the day and some of his writings related to that. So it's not just spiritual matters, but uh, education, social issues as well. And maybe one that some of you are the most familiar with would be his small catechism. Mm-hmm. This is his most prized work. Toward the end of his life, he was thinking about all the things that he'd done and everything that he'd written. And Luther, maybe jokingly, but probably seriously, said that, oh, most of my writing should be burned. Although the small catechism, that's a pretty good one. We should hang on to that one. And so Luther himself knew that the small catechism was special because of how clearly and simply it taught about the truth of the scriptures, which was something that people just didn't have access to back then. And so we still use that small catechism even today um, to teach our own children in just vital matters about faith and truth and about God himself. Now, with all this talk of the Reformation, with all this talk of Luther, I think it's very important to make the statement clear without uh, without air here, we don't worship Luther. <laughs> no. uh, we give thanks for the rediscovery of the gospel and his efforts related to that. But Luther is a man just like the rest of us. <clears throat> he made his own errors. He was able to make mistakes. Uh, and so while we look to Luther's writings, while we would use Luther's writings as we dive into the scriptures, it's still ultimately the sole rule and norm is the scriptures. That's what makes this past year, the trek through the scriptures, so very vital uh, for all of us in the fact that pastor and people like diving into the scriptures, looking to them for direction and realizing it's not Luther we worship. Yes, we talk about Luther. Yes, we reference Luther. But ultimately, the scriptures is the ultimate related to that. You know, and, there, and if you're really interested, it's very intriguing to learn about Luther's life. Uh, when I was growing up, 
Um, the uh, standard book was by Roland Baton, uh, Here I Stand. Uh, there's been a, there's more written about Luther than any other human being other than Jesus Christ himself. I mean, it is one of those amazing truths how many books are written about Luther, on Luther, for Luther. I mean, it's just amazing. But again, uh, while it may, in that may manner, seem like we worship Luther, we do not. And he would never have wanted his this church that that it is today to be called Lutheran. I mean, he ultimately accepted it because that's how there was this identification. But it wouldn't have been his choice. wouldn't wouldn't have been his desire. Uh, and it, because when you call yourselves Lutherans, it it does kind of seem like you're worshiping the man Luther. But I, there's a, a newer book too that the vicar uh, would recommend as well about Luther's life. Yes, so this is what we used at the seminary to learn a lot about Luther, and I like it because it is dense, but it is also short. It's about, I don't know, 70, 80 pages long. It's called Martin Luther, A Life Reformed by Paul W. Robinson. That's Martin Luther, A Life Reformed by Paul W. Robinson. That's my recommended book of choice if you want to learn more about Luther. To be honest, we only scratched the tip of the iceberg with everything that we could have talked about revolving the Reformation. And so if you'd like to learn more on your own, um, I think that book is a great choice because it clearly presents pretty much all the important details that you need to know. And it's uh, Paul Robinson is a really good writer as well. So I enjoyed reading it greatly during my time at the seminary. And so I can tell you that it is $40 new on Amazon. If you don't care about having a new copy of a book, which I really don't, um, you can definitely get it cheaper for less than $40 if you don't mind having a used book in your collection. And so if you want to learn more about Martin Luther and why it matters so much, everything that he did even today, that would be my book of choice. I recommend recommendation to you is pick up that book, Martin Luther, A Life Reformed. We're glad that you spent some time with us today as we talked about the Reformation. Really, the Reformation fits in well with our trek through the Scriptures in the sense that the Reformation really redirected, pointed back to the Scriptures as the sole rule and norm. And so hopefully it was a blessing to you as you were going through that today. And let's continue our trek through the Scriptures as we dive in, as we continue our look at God's Word, its impact on our lives and, and that. And so we really uh, wish the Lord's blessings on you as you continue your study in their track through the scriptures. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on our Trek Through the Scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.